Well, welcome to Grace Walk Radio. I'm your host, Derek Lewandowski, and I am not here today with Caleb Berg, who uh, apparently used the excuse that he's got to take his wife out for an anniversary date. I don't know how many times he's going to use that one. But I am here with my good friend, uh, author of the new book, The Gospel-Shaped Leader, Pastor Scott Thomas. Scott, I want to welcome you. Uh, Thank you, Derek. It's a joy to be with you always. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you right now? Where are you on staff? What are you doing there? Yeah, I'm an executive pastor of church multiplication with Emmanuel Church in Nashville. Uh, Ray Ortland started that church. Uh, T.J. Timms is now the lead pastor. Ray retired from the pastorate uh, when he turned 70. So nice, long journey and left a legacy there. And the Lord is blessing in enormous way. So talk about your role there. I, you know, I have a little bit of an insider's scoop on that, but uh, I think it'd be interesting for people to hear some of the things going on at Emmanuel, um, you know, especially in regard to your role and what you're going to be doing in the area. Yeah, so we just recently uh, hired an executive director who took over a lot of those uh, executive pastor typical things like finance and payroll and such. So it freed me up. The goal for Emmanuel was to free up so that we can church plant and really get behind church planting. As you know, uh, Derek, I spent uh, a good chunk of my life invested in church planting, having been the uh, director and then president of Acts 29 and serving on executive leadership with C2C Network, which did primarily in the North America, but uh, really global church planting. And so this brings me right back to the heart of what I love doing the most. Well, and we're going we're gonna to be blessed for it. This area is going to be blessed for it. Uh, many of you know that I just moved to this area. Uh, I'm in Clarksville, about 45 minutes away from the city limits of Nashville, where uh, Scott is. And so we've been attending Emmanuel. And um, I think we found there, Scott, what you found. And it's just, it's just a deep well of rest and, and refreshment. Matter of fact, I wanted to read an excerpt from your book, maybe to get us started with conversation, because I think... Um, this excerpt I'm going to read, I'm going to go all the way to page 97 here. I think this excerpt might tell us a little bit about where the book came from. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read that and maybe have you speak to uh, what led up to writing this book and, and the experiences that you had. You wrote on page 97, I left those back-to-back experiences as a broken, skeptical, disoriented man. I moved to Nashville and attended Emmanuel Church where my friend Ray Ortland was the lead pastor. My wife and I sat in a two-person pew because we did not want to sit by anyone, talk to anyone, and certainly not hug anyone. Ray started the service with encouragement about an old Christian tradition of red-painted doors and declared that those who enter the church are safe from never measuring up and never belonging. He affirmed that inside the church we experience God's love and we belong to one another through the finished work of Christ. We questioned what Ray was saying because we had the opposite experience. He is not lying. But he might be delusional, we wrongly thought. We came to believe that he was prophesying the kind of church he hoped Emmanuel would become. We stuck it out and over time realized it was exactly where we needed to find spiritual blessing. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a diary entry right there. I just read from your journal in some ways. You know, I know that this book, The Gospel-Centered Leader, which people can get on Amazon, came from... Gospel-Shaped Leader. Gospel-Shaped Leader. What did I say? Gospel-Centered. (laughs) <laughs> it must, must be okay. stuck in my head. You know, I'm an A29 guy, uh, the gospel shape leader. Um, 
you know, I know this came from some painful experiences in your, in your life. Can you talk about what led up to writing this book and inspired you to write this book? Yeah, of course. I was a lead pastor for 17 years and led in multiple contexts. And of course, you know, you experience all kinds of things. And particularly if you're not properly prepared for those and haven't experienced them, just I came in expecting that, man, we can we can change the world and certainly the city and what we couldn't do was even change the local church <laughs> um, and just push back from uh, church members and board members and what have you. And it, it kind of was disillusioning to some extent. And so I began a, a trek towards replanting what it would take to replant and saw some really glorious things that took place through a replanting process. And we were going to replant uh, a church in Denver and that's when I ran across uh, Mark Driscoll. Um, he was doing church planting, and we were thinking more along the lines of planting a different church alongside the church that we were seeking to replant. How old are you about this time, Scott? Um, I was uh, early 40s. Yeah. So you already experienced, you had you know a significant amount of experience in ministry. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And <clears throat> so anyway, Mark and I hit it off right away. Um, we came into Acts 29 as this new church plant, and we we're about the 23rd church that entered into Acts 29. I had experiences there in the early days. You know, it was it was pretty small back then. You know, we were the 23rd church, um, so it was uh, uh, the camaraderie among the men were were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was you know it wasn't organized altogether, and part of that was the beauty and kind of. The appeal to it. It wasn't fully organized. But uh, I became came on the board of X29 shortly thereafter, uh, kind of leading in the replanting phase portion of it. And then um, was asked in a board meeting um, to take over as a director. And so I, I felt like the Lord was leading in that way. And I did and did that for uh, about six years as on staff. I was on the board for a total of about 10 and, um, you know, obviously, Marcel didn't end up um, the way that we wanted it to. Um, Marcel was the part of the group that was the initial startup of Acts 29, of course, and the headquarters were there in Marcel. So, Marcel and Acts 29 were intertwined as one. Um, you couldn't tell where one started and the other ended. Um, and I left there um, with great pain. Um, and I, the last thing I said as I walked out was, if Marcel continues in this trajectory, it'll implode. And it wasn't received with the most joyous response. And so we went to the Journey Church in St. Louis, where, as you know, Mars Hill eventually, and uh, two years later than after I left, um, they actually asked Mark to... Uh, step aside for a bit as lead, um, walk through a process to help deal with some of the accusations and the pain that was allegedly caused by Mark. And um, so we we left and we found ourselves in journey and the same thing happened. You know, the church fired Darren Patrick, um, asked him to step down from all kinds of ministry and enter into a restoration process. The, the difference was Mark uh, didn't enter in that restoration process, and Darren Patrick did, but 
Nevertheless, those were the two experiences you described on page 97 that I was referring to, like back to back. We were 0 for 2, we felt like, when we landed ourselves at, at Nashville. Boy, two fires. I mean, so no wonder you came into, you know, that first Emmanuel service with some skepticism. Um, you know, I mean, were you like wondering, can we even make this thing work? Like, were, were you doubting the whole idea of being able to, even though it's a good idea, right? I mean, I think a lot of people talk, I mean, I accidentally just slipped in the phrase gospel-centered, right? That's a, that's just been such a, uh, part of the vocabulary of the young restless and reform movement and the Acts 29 movement. And yet the, the playing out of that uh, is easier said than done, as they say. And, and so like, how are you feeling after two, I mean, really not just two experiences, but two experiences at churches that were supposed to be the model churches in at least the Acts 29 movement. So how are you feeling? Yeah, we were hurt. I mean, even the first Sunday, we came in late um, and sat in the balcony. So that wasn't the very first Sunday. We missed the opening call to worship because we were in the parking lot and my wife refused to go in, not refused, but just was fearful. Mm. Um, she was hurt and disillusioned and, uh, you know, felt all those experiences. So we sat in the balcony so that we could s- slip out without notice. But you were on staff. I mean, that, that was, no, no you I wasn't on staff. No, oh, we oh. just, yeah, we just came to to Emmanuel. Just came to heal as a, a tent. Uh, yeah, as attendees. Yeah. Um, we had anticipated s- starting a church planting school. Okay. Uh, in Nashville, that was the reason we went there. Yeah. And that got curtailed because of um, conversation that happened with uh, a board member and the board that believed it, and you know, so that was we were just kind of asked to. You know, not get behind uh, doing this church planning school. And it was a very hurtful time uh, mm. of our life. So when we came to Emmanuel, we weren't quite ready, um, but we believed in the church, the local bride, and the that's the bride that Jesus loves. Mm. And we were committed to that, even though it was uh, it was hurt and painful. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to believe that Jesus is the the Lord of his church, he's the chief shepherd, and that ultimately the destiny of his church is not in the hands of uh, any one man or one church or one movement or any of our experiences. And, and that's, that has to be our faith moving forward. Yeah, as you know, our friend Beth Moore um, experienced some pain from the local church and some accusations, some false accusations and such. And she made a statement that struck with me she was actually uh, speaking at an event that happened at Emmanuel recently and she said you know the church didn't call me the Lord Jesus Christ did amen and it was so impactful I wrote that down and said and I, I told her afterwards that how much that meant to me this is like someone who's gone through the pain mm-hmm. and I resonated because that's what I I felt as well it's like mm-hmm. the church although she is not always the most beautiful bride mm is the bride of Christ. And uh, so we choose to love her, but we're following Jesus. He's the only perfect one in the church. Amen. Well, and now, as you well know, there is the uh, famous podcast series that's just been released, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. There's a lot of buzz about it on social media and online. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's hard, to, it's hard to look away. 
Um, it's very intriguing to kind of get the curtain pulled back. And uh, Mike Cosper, I think that's his name, um, from uh, Christianity Today, uh, you know, put, putting that series together. Um, you know, I've heard your name mentioned in there a few times. Um, how are you processing this as, you know, somebody who was, you know, a character in that, in that movie, you know, somebody who was, was there at a, at a, when a lot of those things went down, um, how are you processing that? And, I, and I'd like to know your opinion on just overall the series itself, because I think there's a, there's a lot of mixed opinions on that, you know, as people are processing that. Yeah. Uh, Mike is a good friend, Mike Cosper, and he was actually a part of Sojourn in Louisville. And it had a similar experience where it, it had asked its founding lead pastor to step aside uh, for kind of a similar thing. So Mike experienced it firsthand, although he's not bringing that story, of course, into this uh, narrative of Mars Hill. And, but it gives, gives him compassion. It gives him empathy. It gives him a good understanding of what's taken place. And so he's reasonably pulling this off. It, it, you know, there's two two ways to look at this. Uh, like you're just looking at a car wreck um, and, and watching, you know, people are intrigued by, by that for some reason, just yeah, like a car, like a car wreck traffic jam. I mean, it's like, yeah. like what's going on up there. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, intriguing from that standpoint. And, and part of that's true. There are some people just voyeuristically looking at what's taking place and here, of course, looking at in the form of the verbal audio, but, uh, the other side is it's give warning to the church. Yeah. You know, like we've got to be on check. You know, Paul said that in Acts 20, 28, which is the basis for my book is pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church, which you obtain with his own blood. So that first part is we've got to pay careful attention to ourselves and we've got to pay careful, not just pay attention, pay careful mm. attention to all the flock. And that word is careful is the word we get shepherd and pastor. It, you know, it, it thinks of, I got uh, four grandchildren and um, the, the youngest is not walking yet, but the second to the youngest, um, you know, I don't just let her walk around in busy streets um, and walk near. I'm watching her the whole time. Mm. I'm, paying attention to what's going on. And we've got to have that kind of attention, that careful attention to ourselves and to the flock and how we lead. And so Francis Schaeffer was the one who said, we have to lead the Lord's church in the Lord's way. Hmm. So it's not enough just to lead the church, but we're going to lead the church in the Lord's way. And so that's understanding what is this calling for this and have a good understanding. And, and that's where Emmanuel comes in. It's like, this was the one church, even churches that I was lead pastor, mm -hmm. this is the one church that is has been led and is being led in the Lord's way mm. and has a healthy leadership model. Mm. So, having experienced that, I said, hmm, going through all of what's taken place with, you know, Mars Hill and such, something else is different. You know, mm. there can be a different way to do this. So that's the basis. That's the first sentence I use in the book is, you know, we need a new way of leading. Right. And I'm not suggesting a brand new way uh, because the way we're leading right now is not working. Mm -hmm. And, but we need to return back to Christ and the scriptures and see what, 
how to lead in the Lord's way in that regard. So hopefully the rise and fall of Mars Hill will say, man, this can go really bad. Mm. Or we can lead it in a new way. And, and so although rise and fall wasn't on the radar when I wrote this book, it's the antidote to mm-hmm. what took place at those types of churches. Not, of course, I'm, I don't name Mars Hill mm. or Journey or any other church. But those kinds of churches, and, and they're more prevalent than we want them to be. And in that way, it, it really is sovereignty and providence that your book came out simultaneously with the rise and fall of Mars Hill, because as you say, it's the answer, especially yeah. for my brother like you, who's, you know, who's been through that. I'm here with uh, Scott Thomas, uh, author of The Gospel Shaped Leader from New Growth Press. You can get the book on uh, Amazon.com. Um, you know, talking about the warning part of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, um, I think one of the thoughts I had as, I, as I've been listening to that podcast is just Ananias and Sapphira, you know, and the fear of the Lord gripped the people. That's the New Testament. And I think sometimes we forget that, like that situation happened in the New, in the New Testament, the holiness of God revealing sin in that way. And so, yeah, I do. Th- I think you're right. I think it, it is having that effect. It's it's causing the body of Christ to, I think, to look internally and let the searchlight of the Holy Spirit, you know, look in our own hearts and uh, and ask the Lord to sanctify us to lead to lead more like Christ. Um, I want to read our quote of the day and, and ask you a question. This is from your book, page fifty nine, from Ray Ortland. Jesus isn't impressed with our reputations. What matters to him is our integrity. So he is willing, if we force him by our excuses and delays, to embarrass us until we come clean before him and others. He doesn't relish it, but he's willing because our integrity matters most. Powerful, sobering quote in light of what we're talking about. Um, what's it like working with Ray Ortland? You know, a lot of people know him and, and you know, his ministry has impacted a lot of people. You know, what's that experience been like with you, not only in Sunday gatherings, but, you know, behind closed doors? How, how has he, he impacted your ministry? Yeah, well, it's the careful authenticity and the carefulness for ministry. It's not uh, one person trying to lead a church, but it's one person influencing a church, particularly with what he calls, and now Emmanuel embraces, is what we call gospel culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you can create a culture of toxicity, or you can create a culture of the gospel. And the reason we we name the book Gospel-Shaped Leader instead of Gospel-Centered Leader, I believe you can be gospel-centered. In other words, you're saying those things, you're doing those things, but when you're shaped by the gospel, you're actually transformed and it comes out in your leadership, mm-hmm. comes out in how you interact with other people. And that's what I've experienced with Ray, and hopefully others have experienced that with with me as well, is let the gospel shape you, not just be centered in it when it becomes a, a head knowledge, but it must translate from our head through our heart, help to shape us, transform us, form us. We're all formed by something. Mm. Uh, for, for me, it was success at, at a young age. I wanted to be successful because I felt like that was the only way that I was going to be loved, approved, affirmed, accepted. Mm. Um, what I've come to find out 
through the Lord and through the gospel is that he loves me in spite of my successes. Hmm. I think it seems fairly obvious from the title of your book and even the things you're saying now, but as we consider the, the failure, you know, of a lot of bad culture, bad leadership, you know, that seems prevalent in Western church today. How much of it would you say is, it's not a philosophical problem or, you know, a, a leadership model problem. How much would you say it's a theological problem? We're not believing the gospel and therefore it's not, it's not bearing out in our practice. Yes, exactly. You know, it comes down to, you know, what are those things that we worship the most? Um, what is it that we're driving ourselves toward? And whether that's acceptance, um, comfort, um, you know, anything in our life that's going to be kind of drawing us away from the Lord, mm. um, control. Uh, we have we have all these kinds of things in our life that have they're driving us and controlling us. Um, we call those things idols, and those are things where we bow before. I I certainly bowed before the whole idea of having success, and and every day drove for that. And you sacrifice on the altar, if you will, of the altar of success. You have to sacrifice certain things, and some of it was my health, mm. uh, my time. Um, taking away and, and, you know, not, not Sabbathing, not resting, being mm-hmm. a restless leader. I talk about in one of the chapters is being a restless leader rather than a rested leader. And a rested leader is one who contributes towards and brings life and energy and health. A restless leader takes away, he makes withdrawals. Mm. He or she makes withdrawals in people's lives. Um, so, you know, you learn, you're constantly learning mm. uh, from your mistakes. We don't learn from our mistakes. We're just going to repeat them. Yeah, so we've got to look at these churches that are taking place and what's happening in their lives. Mm. And I, I can recognize churches that uh, are going to go the wrong way. And it's usually because it's self-centered, narcissistic, or, you know, the ministry becomes about that one person mm. rather than about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church. He obtained it with his own blood. Well, and again, it it all comes back to the gospel and the gospel is rest. And if I believe the gospel, um, even the whole idea of a Sabbath and of physically resting, um, if I, if I believe it's all about me and I believe it's all dependent upon me and and that I need to be the center of, of, of everything in the church or, or the movement that I'm not able to withdraw. I'm not able to leave the work in some ways on God or God through others, and and that shapes a whole culture. But because I believe the gospel, you know, I've joked with you know my church staff in the past. Because I believe the gospel, I can take a nap. Right? It's that practical. Like because I believe the gospel, I can take a day off. Because ultimately, the success is not dependent upon me, and ultimately, it's not about me. And so, again, like I think a lot of this stuff, you can trace it back to you know, how deeply we're not only grasping the gospel, but committed to letting it play out and bear out in our ministries and our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, the whole promise of God is rest, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, eternal rest. And so our, our weekly rest, even our daily rest, 
is going to be a reflection of the gospel because that's what he promises us. He promises us that eternal rest. And so it becomes a picture, you know, that's the gospel. We only get that eternal rest through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. But we don't trust him with our ministry, with our work. We don't trust him with our bodies. Mm. We don't believe that we need to have that kind of rest in our lives. So we keep trucking and pushing and moving forward. And we end up bowing before these idols of performance and approval, comfort, security. Mm. And they enslave us. They absolutely enslave us. Um, quote from your book here. Uh, this is from your chapter, Gospel-Shaped Leaders Embrace Their Father's Love. I love this, this paragraph here. When I discovered that the gospel was more than the four spiritual laws, it set me free to live and lead in grace. I no longer led to be accepted. I led from my acceptance by God. Because of Christ, I was no longer a slave working tirelessly. I was now a beloved son of a loving father. He is not prodding me to do more. He is embracing me in my weakness and walking with me as I lead others toward him. And that is so powerful and so needed. And I would say, too, you know, just reading this book, Scott, um, this isn't just for pastors. I mean, this is obviously a, a, a church problem. It's, it's prevalent. I think there's, there's a lot of examples of the kind of experiences you've had. I think we've all seen it or, or, or been around it or even been a part of it. But I think this book also reaches into the home. I mean, all the principles you're talking about with pastors apply to fathers and, and, and mothers and how we parent our kids or, or coaches or, or businesses. Because I think the very things that you're describing in here that can go wrong in churches go wrong in homes and businesses and in you know, team cultures and everything. You know, have you seen that? And are you getting response to the book uh, in its effect even outside of the church? Yeah, I don't, I've made that leap pretty readily, I was talking with somebody not too long ago that these are principles for marriage. Right. <laughs> but you, you can't, you know, intermix all of these kind of things where they apply in a book or otherwise it just becomes, you know, right. Just noise rather than really committed to this one thought. But you could take these same principles right here and say, all right, I'm going to apply these towards my marriage. What would it look like to die to self? Mm. What would it look like to be so um, stepped into the Lord and my, you know, I'm not being inconsistent with my, my love and my devotion. It's to the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it mean to kind of like plan ahead and uh, you know, work, work on my marriage and do things that are going to be necessary? Well, you know, you could take every one of these principles, all 12 of them and say, they apply right to my, to my marriage. And as you said, to parenting, uh, mm-hmm. as a husband, excuse me, as a father or a mother, or coaching. I actually, I coach a high school girls basketball team, and I apply these right to the team. We are as much interested in culture in our team as we are in them executing the right, you know, X's and O's and such. I had a question as I, as I read your book that just kind of kept popping up in my head. And I wanted, to, I wanted to present it to you because I get asked this a lot um, by people who, I don't know, suddenly have a revelation that they're, um, they're a stranger in a foreign land. They're in a bad culture. They're, they're, they're in a bad situation. How, would you, how do you counsel somebody you know, who comes up to you and says, man, 
you you described my church, you know, like the bad the bad uh, version of what you're talking about. You described my church I'm in, or, or my movement, or my, you know, the situation I'm in. Like, how, how do you counsel somebody in that situation? Well, that's what I'm hoping that the book will do is uh, that whole boards, entire boards, uh, elder, deacon, yeah. uh, whoever their team is, will walk through this. And I've included 50 plus questions along with the book so that every at every end of every chapter, there's, you know, from three to six questions that this team can interact with and they can ask themselves questions like that. It's really designed most for that. Uh, I was going to, I actually tried, submitted to embed the questions right within the context of the paragraphs, mm. but that um, that was uh, not accepted, but we put them at the end, the same ones. But the idea was like, okay, just what you've read, these last couple paragraphs. Now, here's a question. What would this look like in your life? So that's that's what I'm hoping. I mean, that's the sweet spot, if you will. For where this could be used the most is um, that entire teams, deacons, elders, pastors, whomever, can can take this and can walk through it and can examine themselves because we have to first be self aware. Mm-hmm. So as Acts twenty twenty eight said, pay careful attention to yourselves. Mm. First thing you've got to do is identify that what's going on in your life. How are you? Um, how are you leading? How are other people's perceiving you? And then. You look at, pay careful attention to all the flock. And so I've used the metric of emotional intelligence as another lens to take a look at this, Uh, just to be intriguing, um, to kind of look at it for another way. Um, And it's it's amazing that we we don't know as much about that. But emotional intelligence is simply just biblical wisdom that's going to be applied in our life. and so we try to be self-aware, self-managed, relationally aware, relationally managed. And those that's based on Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourself, self-aware, self-managed, and to all the flock. Yeah, I, I think of um, Elijah. You know, he, he got pretty messed up emotionally and he ended up, you know, under that juniper tree. And what's interesting about the story is like God didn't even really talk to him at first. He just fed him with the brook and the raven, and it was like there had to come a healing before he could even hear. Yeah. And, um, you know, how much would you say, from your perspective, you work with a lot of leaders and a lot of pastors, um, how much do pastors today, you know, those who are ministering the gospel and, and ministering healing to others, how much should pastors focus on their own healing and, you know, whether it's getting in counseling themselves or getting in a context where maybe people are asking them questions that they wouldn't normally pay attention to, you know, that part of stewarding yourself as a leader and, you know, not just learning leadership principles or the next great church growth strategy, but what would your counsel be to pastors for stewarding yourself, especially if you're broken? This is the most important thing about that. I mean, because particularly pastors and those vocationally involved are not going to have somebody that they can just speak to. Uh, unless they've hired them, if you will, uh, a therapist, which is worthy to do. And must at times we, we must do that. We have to do that. We've got to set aside our pride and say, I, I need the help from somebody else. Uh, in, in the same way we do with things around our home or trying to fix our vehicle, we 
We ask for somebody with expertise to come in and speak to our lives. But the other value to that is just having somebody, a different set of eyes looking at you Mm. and focusing on what's going on. And so church leaders are real people with real problems, but nobody to go to. Uh, You know, if they went to a church member, if they will, or a board member, just expressing conflict that's happening within their heart or things they're thinking or challenges maybe within their marriage that isn't isn't disqualifying but it it's certainly troubling um it could be exploded into something completely different so that's why we we've got to have that last chapter chapter 13 talks about friendships and why that's so important that we've got to be yoking together with others that person is speaking into our life and, and giving to us life but also giving us perspective we can't see ourselves as properly as others sometimes can see us. Hmm. And if we're open and honest with the other person, walking in humility and honesty, that other person can honor us by just sharing what's going on in our life and stepping in. That hmm. person you know you can trust. Hmm. You know, and, and as as an aside related to this too, I think, you know, chapter six uh, the chapter about leaders learning and continuing to learn. You know, you shared that heartbreaking story about the the pastor who was sort of, you know, leading well for, what, 12, 13 years, and then suddenly just hit a wall and resigned. And uh, I don't know, I read the chapter thinking, boy, this is a chapter I didn't know that I needed. Um, just mm-hmm. that, that challenge. And I like how you broke that down, too. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let the reader, uh, the listener read the book to, to get the details on that. But um, some really good stuff just about how, uh, leaders need to continue to learn. And, and, and again, that's a posture of humility. Like I, I've never arrived, right? I'm, I, maybe we've left, right? We're on the journey, but we, we haven't arrived. Um, we're shepherds, but we're also sheep and we're still learning. We're still disciples. Can you t- just maybe, you know, as we take the final few minutes here, can you just speak to that and just the, the need for leaders to continue learning? Well, it's got to be high on the list. Uh, my friend, Mark Reynolds, who works with he's vice president of City to City Network at uh, Redeemer Church in New York City, believes that aside from our personal devotion to Christ, of course, and a, and a passion to share that good news with others, that the next most important element that you have is that learning agility. Uh, you know, just being, especially in the more urban context that you happen to be in, is going to mm-hmm. be something that's important because the church is constantly changing Mm -hmm. and the church needs are constantly changing. And if we don't learn and uh, continue to learn and make adjustments and, you know, of course the whole pandemic forced us Mm. to make some changes and pastors were learning at a high rate, but now uh, pastors and all the staff, church staff are leaving in, in unproportionate times. It's just like, it's just, they're leaving in droves. Mm. Uh, some are leaving the ministry altogether. Some are ju- going to next church going, maybe it's better here, mm. but just uh, through the pain and suffering that they went through this last year. And and part of that's just not learning how to make adjustments and learn how to lead others as you're learning. Mm. And you know, again, it's a culture. So if the leader is learning, so will the people, they will be in a posture of learning mm. and wanting to learn. Mm. And isn't that one of the reasons churches die is they they fail to learn. They fail to adapt. Not that we change our message that the gospel is, 
timeless and it'll, it'll always be the gospel. But, you know, I, I know for a while there was a lot of conversation about contextualization, just starting churches that are contextualized in that culture, that urban culture, or that city, um, and not, you know, becoming a museum, right? Oh, this is what church looked like in 1975 because we like the way we did church in 1975. And now here we are at 40, 50 years later, and we're still trying to do church that way. You might have good theology, but there's a, there's a disconnect culturally. And w- would you say that that's true, that not learning and not remaining in a posture where you are learning and growing is one of the th- reasons why churches die? Oh, for sure. Um, we've got we've to make just changes and adjustments and communities all around the church. Sometimes the whole demographic changes. Mm. And if our, you know, when I go to a foreign country, I was in Paris not too long ago. And for a weird reason, people in Paris spoke French. Um, they didn't speak English. And um, it, if I was to start a ministry there, I would want to start a ministry in French. I want to speak their language. Mm. Um, and, and, and I can't do that. I can't be the one who does that. But you've you got to speak their language. And you've got like, we've got to com- continue to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that's understandable, accessible, and that's life-changing. And that's what he's called us to do is go and make disciples of all nations. Meaning it's not just one nation, one place, one language but it's going to be done in multiple ways. And he's given us a pretty wide open door. said, proclaim the gospel, uh, establish churches led by godly leaders, biblically qualified leaders, mm-hmm. exercise church discipline, exercise the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, and equip leaders. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, like, we're pretty wide open. We mm-hmm. can do that in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. So when we die on the hill of sacred things we need to die on the heel of we're proclaiming the gospel to a community rather than say some program that happened in the church well scott i appreciate your time the gospel shaped leader by scott thomas leaning on jesus to shepherd his people it's available on amazon and probably anywhere you find books Um, most of you that are listening i'm sure you uh, are well familiar with Amazon and getting books from there. Um, Scott, could you pray for us and, and especially pray for leaders and churches, um, you know, that, that really need the, the type of stuff that you're laying out in this book? Yeah, for sure. So, Father, we thank you for our time together, your shaping of us in our lives. You've, you've made us into what we've, we've been called to become. So, we now we pray you will, faithful servants to serve you with joy and with gladness and with proclaiming that good news of Jesus Christ, wherever we go, shape us by this gospel and continue to shape us until we're in your likeness. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, Scott, thanks again for your time. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by that vacation company. You can check out at that vacation company on Twitter Uh, or Instagram for all your vacation needs. And again, uh, Scott, thank you so much for your time. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is enough. Enough.